Welcome to Uplifting Impact. I'm so glad that you're here joining us today. I have with me an attorney who is here in the Milwaukee area. Her name is Isuma Wabuzar. And I want to make sure that you hear her name again, because I feel like it's such a beautiful name. Uh, it's Isuma Wabuzar. And she is uh, joining us as, uh, like I said, an attorney, but she comes from Robert W. Baird, which is an organization I had the great fortune of actually being able to work at. So we, we shared a, a previous employer. For those of you who don't know Robert W. Baird, it's an employee-owned financial services for, firm, excuse me, here based in the Milwaukee area, and she supports the firm's U.S. and U.K. transactions in its private equity business. She has a double alma mater from Marquette University, which is also another place I'm a huge fan of. She earned her bachelor's in law in political science and psychology and her Juris Doctorate from Marquette University Law School. She currently uh, serves as a board member for both the sports and entertainment law and the IP and technology law sections of the State Bar of Wisconsin. And she has dedicated her career to really making sure that she not only shows up in powerful ways in her work as a, a corporate attorney, but also in her work as a community advocate. She currently serves in a variety of different capacities here in the community, both including as a Rotarian and also as a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She, however, is most easily found when you Google her, <laughs> she's most easily found uh, for her TEDx talk. She did a TEDx talk called The Dreamer. And from that, and really very closely based on that, she started an organization called The Dreamer Next Door Incorporated. And we have her here today to tell us a little bit more about her, her journey to doing that work in particular and how she uh, really uses that work to grow uh, not just her own professional development and her own leadership, but really to grow the capacities of those around us. So thank you so much for being here with us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit uh, uh, more about you. That I just gave was all the all the professional <laughs> stuff, but tell right, me, right. yeah, t- tell me a little bit about who, who you are as a, as a person. Yes. So, you know, I am a child of God, first and foremost. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a sorority sister. I'm a lawyer. Um, And again, as you sort of alluded to, the things people sort of know me most for now um, is that I'm a dreamer. And that is a huge part of my identity. It's a huge part of what I lead with. And I like to consider myself intersectionality personified in that, you know, I'm an immigrant, I'm Black, I'm a woman. And when you think of all these marginalized demographics and relegated groups in society, I am that in one. And so, you know, there's so many facets to who I am. So I really appreciate you, you know, saying I am a dreamer, but there may be some people who are listening who don't exactly know what that means. Or maybe they're thinking about a dreamer as that you set, we just heard all these wonderful things that you're doing as a dreamer who, you know, sets really ambitious goals, which of course is one definition of it. But what do you mean when you're talking about you're a dreamer? Right. So dreamer is coined from the dream act which is an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act. 
This was something that came about Congress, I want to say early 2000s, if I recall correctly. Um, and it is a term that the uh, United States use, uses to denote children who were brought to the United States, but that are undocumented, who don't have any sort of legal status. And unfortunately, as a result of that, we live in a sort of a state of limbo. Um, the laws have not caught up to it. Um, and I don't even want to say caught up. You know, we just haven't had sort of the act to figure out some sort of resolve to this issue. And yeah, we're undocumented people living here in the United States who are brought here as children. And so a lot of people have probably, now that you've you've defined what you mean, you know, here by Dreamer, have read articles about Dreamers or maybe have seen things in the press. But what would you say to somebody who, you know, maybe has dabbled a little bit, read a couple of things? What are some of the things that they that you think people should really know when we're talking about what Dreamers are dealing with uh, and kind of some of the more pressing issues? Right. So the real life implications of being a dreamer and the real practical implications are a lot harsher than what you see on television. So, you know, one thing that we see right away is discussions of walls in the United States and Mexico. I want people to understand the sort of synergy of social issues and immigration is no different. There are dreamers from every racial, ethnic and national demographic. You know, so this isn't a U.S. versus South America, a U.S. versus Mexico, a U.S. versus the southern border issue. You get people, you know, we talk about the wall. People, a lot of immigrants come here through a plane. <laughs> you know, I came through New York. Um, that's where I landed on a plane on January 1st, what, uh, 1992. And so... A lot of immigrants don't go through this, you know, process where they're, you know, taking their families through this wall and making it to the southern border and face with whatever. Um, and so that's one thing I want people to understand. Another thing, again, like I mentioned, the practical implications. Um, one result of being an undocumented child in the United States, well, who was brought here as a child, is that if you ever leave the United States, you get a 10-year ban on your reentry. And so, you know, Full transparency, I'm 30 years old now. If I decided, hey, you know, I'm longing for that bachelorette trip. I'm longing for that vacation in Tulum. I'm longing for this. The minute I leave, I could not come to the United States, even have the option of coming to the United States until I'm 40. And so when we're talking about that, when you're talking about someone who's growing up and experiencing life, that means you miss funerals of your relatives overseas. That means, although it's a privilege, it's things that form who we are in our experiences. You don't get to go to the bachelorette party for your best friend. You don't get to go to your best friend's 30th birthday party overseas. You don't even get to go on that work trip, right? Let's be practical. If you have a business like, or if you work in a company like my own, that's an international business, we have a deal in London. I don't get the privilege of traveling to London for that work trip. Another practical implication, and one thing I truly focus on with my nonprofit, is that dreamers do not get any federal benefits. And one of those federal benefits is the free application for federal student aid, which is commonly known as FAFSA. And so that means you have undocumented students who, once they reach the time where they're ready to pursue higher education, they're faced with the financial burden of college and universities, unlike any other sort of student. Um, and the they are usually left to three options. They forego, forego it altogether because it's just way too expensive and they 
they can't foresee that being a possibility for themselves. They opt for a cheaper and typically less ranking university or college. And although that's not a bad decision, if you get accepted to Harvard, you want to be able to go to Harvard and not be prevented from doing so because you're an undocumented student. Or they prolong their academic experience. And so you hear students who are undocumented who've been in school for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And they're prolonging this experience because they have to pay credit for credit. They're working. And every dime they make, they're putting it either towards their family or their schools. And so my effort is to sort of alleviate some of that burden and also educate the public on these practical implications of being undocumented in the United States and more particularly being a dreamer in the United States. So I think Thank you very much, I think, for sharing that, because one of the things that does get lost a lot of times when we're just looking at the headlines is what does this mean when you go, you peel back the number, right? Mm-hmm. Like you peel back this number or that, whatever, that that sound bite. Uh, what, what does this actually uh, mean for people's everyday lives? I think one of the things that I share with people often when I'm talking about dreamers is for a lot of children, particularly for people who are still children, right? There is a deeply rooted fear that they walk around with. And so can you imagine being, you know, six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, and somebody asks you to talk about the person that they love the most, to talk about their their mom, their dad, their uncle. And you know how excited you would get, right? When you when you want to share about, oh, this is but then to be like, oh, nope, I'm not gonna say anything. Because they're terrified that if they say something, they could be the reason why you know, somebody, somebody has to leave or they don't want to share or they don't want to, they don't want to talk because they're afraid that they might expose themselves, right? They, they understand at a very young age that they're on this really a tenuous line. And so the stress of that is, is the other thing, right? There's, there's Absolutely. these practical things, but there's also the stress of that. So you're in this work, right? You're, you're, you're obviously very passionate about it because of your own experiences, but also because you, you understand how this is impacting other people. So when you think about like this journey in leadership, right? You have people who are on uh, this podcast because they're really trying to deepen their understanding in diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's why, why they're, they're awesome. And that's also why they're listening. So what would you say to somebody who's in a leadership role? What would you say are some of the things that they can do either themselves or things that they could do or try and support within their own organization to help at least alleviate some of the challenges that dreamers might be facing? Right. So I think, you know, if I had to pick three things, I would say amplify the voices of marginalized groups in your organization. Um, It's no secret that more often than not, you know, racial, um, ethnic, national, gender minorities are the minority in your organization. And anything you can do to sort of create a space for them to share their stories so that their colleagues and the people that they work alongside of for most hours out of the day know who exactly they are and can build some sort of empathy is awesome. Create those safe spaces so people can come to, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, being part of inclusion is being able to bring your whole self to work. And so what are you doing within your organization to ensure that people feel like they don't have to live in that fear you alluded to, or they don't have to keep part of themselves secret or hide and can be their full selves and their whole selves when they're coming to work. Amplify those voices. Another thing, and I would say this for those marginalized demographics in those dreamers or Black women in their organizations, use your voice. Your voice is an act of of resistance. And the more you use your voice, um, the more people get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
And the more they get comfortable with sort of having these sociopolitical dialogues, you know, for the longest, and even to some extent now, sociopolitical dialogue was taboo for the corporate environment and for the workplace. And I think we're starting to see a shift that, you know, corporations have to be sociopolitical stakeholders. You know, they have to coexist. There's no sort of silo of these different worlds. And so when you allow people to amplify their voices and when people utilize their voices, it gets us a lot more comfortable with this world we live in today. And then educate. That's the third thing I would say. A lot of issues, even on social media, um, when you interact with people, people talk um, because they've seen a headline or, you know, they've heard a soundbite, which is absolutely fine. That's not that's a form of education. But it's very important for people like me, people who know of my situation and my scenario, people who know people like me, that you inform and you enlighten and you educate. Because as long as we can eliminate ignorance, we can progress collectively as a race. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the things that I try to just emphasize is if you don't know anybody, from a different group or from, it's really hard to have empathy. And so all these things that you just talked about, this idea of amplifying, this idea of using your voice, this idea of education, what they're doing at the core of all three of those is they're trying to give people the opportunities to get to know one another. So what's so fascinating to me is I've multiple times had conversations, right? With people who will say, you know what? Um, I feel a certain way about dreamers or I feel a certain way about the wall or I feel this and that. And this is, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to engage anybody in a, in a, in a, I will, but that this is not the space, right. To engage anybody in a, in a political conversation about that. But one of the questions that I always like to ask when these things come up, especially when we're in the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging space is I like to say, have you ever talked to anybody who's on the front line of that? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's easy to have a lot of opinions about a lot of things if you haven't actually had the experience yourself. Right. Um, and I, I, I liken this a lot to the work that I do with young people. So I, there's so many times where I would be in a room full of all adults. Mm-hmm. You know, and we could come up with a million ideas about what the young people should be doing right. and if they did this and blah, 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 right. And we could just go, 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 go. But I often will stop those meetings and I'll be like, hey, has anybody talked to a young person? Right. Uh, you know, exactly. and, and I also asked them, you know, if a young person walked in here right now, would that person feel welcome? Mm. Would, would we have enough space to actually bring their voice into the conversation? And I think that that same line of questioning can work really, really well when you're talking about subject areas that have this social, political, you know, kind of undertone to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really interesting. Can you... It, I'm glad you read those headlines. I'm glad you read that article. I'm glad, you know, because that means that people are, like you said, actively trying to educate themselves. But can we also make sure that we are having, let's talk about some real implications of how these things play out in people's lives, either within our organization, or maybe we just go out and we try and find resources that allow for us to see what this looks like. Because without having these conversations in silos of numbers and statistics and articles and books or whatever it might be, or, or, or radio talk shows or, or podcasts even, right. (laughs) But not coupling that with like the reality of humans. Oh, what a missed opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and humans aren't robotic. You know, you sort of spoke to this earlier. There is this sort of trauma element to it, aside from the practical day-to-day implications and 
you know, those those are huge implications, but there's a trauma that people who have been marginalized and relegated, and in my case, dreamers, and a Black woman, because I never speak of myself, this is a dreamer. I always speak of myself as an immigrant Black woman, and that is so important to my identity. But there's a sort of trauma that comes with each of those identities that you carry with you. Part of understanding that, and again, building empathy is understanding that trauma. Um, and how does it, how did it, aid in me becoming who I am today and the decisions I make and how I move and how I engage with others. And you don't get to that until you start having real conversations. You know, there's always the pros and cons of social media. And I think, unfortunately, one of the implications of that is we're okay with just reading the headline, but we're okay with just reading the easy four-minute article. But we have to sort of get back to basics and start having that face-to-face human interaction and really getting to know people. I could not agree with you more. And I think facilitating, I'm so grateful that you are facilitating those conversations. So tell us really quickly a little bit about what your organization is doing. We've talked about why it's so important, but tell us what you're doing. Yes. And so, you know, we're growing, we're a growing organization. We're in our first year. Um, But again, our purpose is to engage millennials, spark advocacy, and mobilize change in society. I'm a firm believer that young generations are the generations that are going to change the trajectory of this planet. And again, people don't know until they understand the issue what direction to take things in. And so my goal is to inform people on immigration and what immigration means and the stories out there and what we see and what's happening, along with an array of other political issues we deal with. And so my goal is to expand. So we're talking about police brutality. We're talking about gun control. We're talking about LGBTQ plus issues. We're talking about housing. We're talking about education and equity. And we're educating the public so we truly, truly understand because again, we live in a society where if it doesn't directly impact you, you're not really in tune as you should be. And so mobilizing change so that ultimately we can uplift these demographics and these are issues of the past. And as I mentioned, our Hallmark program is our annual scholarship. And so we do an annual scholarship again to alleviate the financial burden for undocumented students because again, everyone as cliche as it sounds um, doesn't want their hopes of the American dream shattered. That's the reality of it. And so anything we can do to keep that promise and keep that hope and keep that dream alive for dreamers um, and other marginalized groups. So this year we're giving, we've reserved a scholarship for a person of color directly impacted by police brutality. Anything we can do to uplift them and help them and lift as we climb, that's what my organization aims to do. That is awesome. So I know that people are going to want to learn more about the organization. They're going to want to learn more about you. Tell us what's the best way to get connected with you. Yes, so my platform for all things concerning Isioma are I am is IamIsioma.com. So that's I-A-M-I-S-I-O-M-A.com. You can find my merchandise, like the shirt I'm wearing. A portion of the proceeds from every purchase goes towards to this towards the scholarship. You can find the dreamer next door. You can find out about me, booking me for speaking engagements and things like that. I'm very active on social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Isioma. Um, you can find me on Facebook there as well. And you can find me on Twitter at ECOMA Wabuzer, I-S-I-O-M-A-N-W-A-B-U-Z-O-R. Awesome. And in case my cough there just messed up any of that, uh, we'll also make sure that we put uh, all the information in our show notes. Thank you so much for for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for the passion that you have. You know, this work does pull at the things that make us who we are. It, It pulls at 
uh, how we show up. It pulls at all, all of those components. And sometimes that can be extra hard. It, it can actually make it harder, right? I think sometimes yeah. you think like, oh, that's your experience. So it must make it easier. And actually it can make it harder because it's not just uh, something you're passionate about. It's, some, it's who you are. It's who you are as, as a person. Life. It is your life. It is your life. And so I am just so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, for those of you who are joining us, we're so glad that you were able to, to hear another episode. Please share with your friends. We here at Uplifting Impact are ready to have those conversations. We're ready to create those opportunities for connection. And we're so glad that you have joined us and we can't wait to be able to meet all of your friends who also want to do this important work. We know that the more people we have who are doing this work, the further we can go together. So we'll see you again next time. Again, thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you, Uplifting Impact, for having me. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.